Welcome to another episode of the Vigilante Book Club. If you're just joining us, I recommend going back to episode one to get caught up with our story. The Vigilante contains violence and sexuality, and we often say bad words like poo-poo and ball sack. The publisher figured that because you're knocking off so many ethnics, you'd better be one. Holy shit. Wow. The coffee's terrible. I think I didn't put enough in the pot. He gulped the grapefruit juice from the glass she'd put on the counter. There's your problem. She didn't make coffee. She made grapefruit juice. <laughs> One, two, three. I, I love, love Vigilante Book Club. <laughs> I'd love to hear your personal definition of mansplaining and feel free to just talk right over each other. <laughs> mansplaining is, exp- is, a, is a man taking the space in a room to explain uh, anything, often to a woman uh, who is more than likely actually an expert on the topic. One assumes or the man assumes needs needs them to explain it to them like is that is that partly what what empowers the term mansplaining i think it does and also i think it often comes with the word actually actually <laughs> um, i say that a lot don't do that <laughs> yeah well it, it here's the trick with mansplaining to is that the second someone accuses anyone of mansplaining there is actually no way to uh to argue against that did you just mansplain that because you said actually? Actually, yes. Can I ask, does it does the dynamic have to uh, exist between a male doing this to a female? Or can Drew mansplain Farron? It seems to me it's that it's condescending worst when it's sexist. Do you have memories of or awareness of times when you've mansplained? I feel like I have mansplained, um, especially when I'm trying to share, like in my 20s, I'd say, when I was trying to share music I loved. And uh, and I don't know if this technically qualifies, but I feel like uh, uh, a lot of people, and, and myself included, go through this phase um, where the hip music that you love, you begin to take credit for for discovering it. And you know what I mean? And, and, uh, and, then, and then somehow in, in one's mind, in my mind, not only did I discover it, I practically created it. So now I'm going to share it with somebody. And not only am I going to uh, share it with them, I have to explain in horrid detail what makes it so special. I feel like I've, I've mansplained uh, in, that, uh, in that way before. I did it so hard, like a few days ago. Oh. like so bad it was with it was with my girlfriend with devon and we were in victoria for uh, a little getaway and uh we were at dinner and she was sharing um and a, a possible thing on the horizon creatively and i have this uh habit uh where I get very excited about uh, anything, um, but, <laughs> but specifically about when someone's talking about something creative or or building something or a show or a concept, I get really excited 
uh, on their behalf. And then I run with it. And at some point I had to stop and I went, cause I had taken the beginning of this conversation and I had written like a four year grant model <laughs> <laughs> and I said, st- and I stopped and I went, I just hijacked and mansplained your project to you. She was like, yep, you did. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. That was garbage. I'm a garbage human being for do that. I'm so sorry. That was so unfair. And I'm having to realize that, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a guilty party and I have to separate my own eagerness to uh, take ideas and take concepts and just sort of just fill in all the blanks and just run with it. Is there something we can do? How do we stop ourselves? I think exactly what we've done, like what you did, Kayvon, is I think a, a you recognized it. Sometimes mm-hmm. you recognize it after you've done it. Sometimes you recognize it while you're doing it. But you recognized it. And we've been trained that our voice is the most important voice. And so recognizing it like you did and like we do and 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 thinking about it and, and trying uh, to catch it when we do it and acknowledge it is, is it. Um, so you're so saying I don't, think, don't, don't go on the defense committee every time there's an accident, just acknowledge and push yeah, forward. Yeah, acknowledge it. Like, I think the way you handled it by the sounds of it with, with Devin, which I'm sure you've prettied up and you had a, a really shitty response to originally. Oh, when it's when it, at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I, I, you know, yeah, I said, I said, oh my, I think I just mansplained that to you, you dumb <laughs> bitch. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah no, I'm I was, sure that you I were very appalled. respectful. I was appalled. Yeah, maybe at the root of it is is practicing the acknowledgement that we are not superior in any way whatsoever because we are male, and so if we if we somehow whether it's through discussion with our colleagues like we're having right now or it's the acknowledgement of mansplaining like you experienced with Devin and just going wait a second that can only be mansplaining if it ex- if it happened in a condescending way that implies sexism if that's the definition uh, the the loose definition of mansplaining is to acknowledge our our privilege uh as as males and to and to sort of practice uh deprogramming a sense of superiority that maybe uh, uh the modern culture gave us so did you get all that, ladies? We tried to talk slow. Um... <laughs> this episode of the Vigilante Book Club is brought to you by parrots. Haven't you always wanted a parrot? Get a parrot. Any uh, Anybody affected by our, uh, our introduction to Joe Madden and the story of the vigilante over the last week that you want to jump out? You know, something I was um, I was thinking about it, and um, and I was thinking about that that very difficult opening uh, chapter, um, which which was uncomfortable for all of us, and yet I was also acknowledging in my mind that it's very common as well. Like uh, in terms of uh, you know the the character stakes action situation that's taking place there, uh, we've seen that scene in, uh, take place in multiple ways um, on film and TV lots over the last twenty years. And so I was thinking to myself, uh, why? I mean, it, it it always makes me uncomfortable. But why was that so particularly uncomfortable? I, I also the that first prologue. Um, I I was thinking about it the most too, and the element that stuck out as to why we all had this big sigh of relief when we came to sort of a break point is that we were going through it without anonymity. And if you would 
were to read it alone at home or wherever, and it was just you reading this story, you could process it uh, privately and put it away and never talk about it. And you wouldn't be responsible or connected to it in any way. Um, we have removed the anonymity of this story and that content by sharing it with each other. And then so that also means that our opinion, our voice and our reaction to it is now culpable. Well said. Yes, I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I could tell that probably all three of us, myself included, as I was reading, it was going, oh, what am I going to say? <laughs> this, this is tough. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to laugh and I'm not going to make a joke and I feel really gross. What are we going to do? What am I going to say? You are 100% right. It felt right. like we were involved in it somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, felt, I felt responsible for it. And I'm going to have to speak to this with my colleagues Uh, So maybe taking some ownership of it is positive in a way because as viewers and consumers of so much of this kind of entertainment, uh, maybe we are a little complicit. Oh, I've been been swallowing it without second guessing most of the time. It only exists and continues to exist because enough people are supporting it financially by purchasing it or gobbling these books up. It's why, like, if someone had read this book that first page and gone this is disgusting and thrown it away and told their friends about this book they read and it was garbage there wouldn't be two three four five six books of the vigilante series and then where would we be in our podcast well we wouldn't be here so thank goodness (laughs) someone (laughs) said this is hot stuff vj (laughs) let's read Chapter two of The Vigilante and find out how Joe's day goes. Okay. All right. Please, Joe, I want to celebrate. Sarah's voice over the telephone was excited. She had a right to be excited. A promotion hitting her right between her well-deserved eyes. But no, it was impossible, the thing she asked. I'd like to have lunch with you, Sarah, but... But hell, tell them to go and believe me, I'd like to. Especially one Mr. Sidney Grossman. But no dice. We'll celebrate tonight, I promise. After Brooklyn, he cursed softly. Gene and Dan. After and before. A quick drink before we climb on the subway. Name your place. She did. Ratazzi's. I love you, Joe, she added. You goddamn well better, he said. I don't care how wealthy you've suddenly become. He said goodbye and went back into Crosby's office. He'd taken the call at Jill's desk. He no sooner opened the door, and he heard Grossman's repeated complaint. But it was your specifications which said. Lunch was a disaster. Not the restaurant. Le Vert Galant, in Madden's estimation, and that of a lot of a New Yorkers, was one good French restaurant. But regardless of the full-glass martinis and the excellent French onion soup, and what followed, it was probably the worst lunch Madden could recall for a long, long time. The prime reason was Mr. Sidney Grossman. Yeah, I just know that this onion soup is going to give me heartburn. And... Let's get back to your lousy specifications. Another martini. Good God, 
That first one was awful. They don't put enough vermouth in them here. Crosby almost choked on a crouton. Enough vermouth? Grossman nodded sourly. I should have specified, but what good would that have done me? I ask you, you, you who know all about specifications. Back in the office, it was more of the same. The problem was one of diplomacy more than one of engineering. The engineering on the job had been sound, and both Madden and Crosby knew it, as did their bosses, Chilton and Harris. The brothers Grossman, more than a year ago, had entered the high-speed specialized printing business, knowing almost nothing about the business except for their conviction that it would be extremely profitable. They had hired Chilton and Harris to, to design from the ground up the entire works, facilities, processes, manpower organization, everything. We gotta be near the action, Sidney said with finality. Or was it Herman? Madden didn't know. Crosby had most of the client contact on this one, and from the horror it turned into, Madden was quite happy with that fact. Of course, setting up in Midtown L.A. presented one or two difficulties with the package Chilton Harris had prepared. One, since a new building wasn't in the cards, the new printing establishment would have to do with already built quarters. Which brings us to I don't give a fuck. Oh my god, <laughs> this is a little bit like being mansplained uh, to right now. Well, strap in for Engineering 101. <laughs> Great. Which brings us to two. The already built quarters, although in the... <laughs> no, don't worry. We wouldn't put you through that. But we went through that. Three fucking pages of the driest, dullest engineering jargon I've ever encountered. Just listen to how much Drew loves it. <sighs> so, while we go through hell, I thought I'd just tell you a couple jokes. What would the Jetsons be called if they were black? The Jetsons, you fucking racist. My friend gave me his EpiPen as he was dying. It seemed very important to him that I have it. I have a stepladder because my real ladder left when I was a kid. Now, if you're an engineer and you feel slighted for our not appreciating your highly entertaining field, I also have an engineering joke. Why did the electron throw up? He was spinning. <laughs> yeah, I have no fucking idea either. Okay, I think that should do it. And if you hated those jokes, it's okay. But trust me, it was exponentially less painful, so you're fucking welcome. Madden took an obvious look at his watch. It's almost 4.45. I hate to rush off, but I've got an appointment, Mr. Grossman. I trust you'll be able to conclude your business with Mr. Crosby. Today? Grossman said. What conclude? What have we concluded here today? I ask you. You tell me, Mr. Madden. I think I've now officially made... Grossman the Penguin? Yeah, yeah. I like this uh, Muppet character that you've created. Somehow, Madden mumbled something about his dire need to leave. He was grateful to Crosby for saying all the right things to excuse the absence. A good old Hal. This episode of the Vigilante Book Club is brought to you by Privilege, turning a blind eye since Jesus. We'd also like to make a very special thank you to Batman. Yeah. I love you, she said. He touched his martini glass to hers. Congratulations. You don't care that I love you? 
If I didn't care, would I be here now? He told her of his day, and she laughed with him. It was symptomatic, that laughing. If, during his earlier days, during his days as Helen's husband, or later when he was a bachelor, a Sidney Grossman had abused him professionally, as he had been abused this day, he would not have smiled for days. It would have seethed inside him until a boiling point was reached. Then would have come the frantic attempt for sudden release. But now, this girl, this Sarah, this wife of his, she was so very, very good for him, for him and to him. I said congratulations. What are you now, head seamstress? She frowned. Joe, I've tried to tell you what I do. And as a typical male chauvinist pig, I don't let you. You know why? <laughs> okay, why? I've sort of been wondering. I thought maybe your male breadwinner type of ego. Ego hell. It's loins. She repeated his last word. He nodded. Damn right, loins. There I am listening to you going on about your career and all, and something happens. Maybe it's the way your voice tinkles. Tinkles? <laughs> so he's got a he's got a real uh, water water play fetish. <laughs> tinkles? Who's telling this? Tinkles. That's what it does. Like church bells. I'm not all that religious, and you know it. Then you should have your voice changed so that it sounds like something more mundane, like. Maybe garbage can covers being played like cymbals. Speaking of which, let's go home. My loins are acting up again. Joe. <laughs> Ew. Joe, we can't, and you know it. Jean is expecting us. Madden frowned. Well, maybe we could call her now, before she goes to too much trouble. Tell her that uh, I've come down with a frustrated loin. She wouldn't want that messing up their apartment. Which <laughs> just just jizzing all over the walls. Like he's always God. doing. Oh, not yeah. that again. Did he switch to loin in the singular? Yeah, he has a frustrated loin. And it was loins. Now, I've never heard the word loins or loin used so many times back to back. I, I, I've used the word. I'm aware of it. But now, what is a loin? I just see pork. Me too. Yeah, I, I, mean, I hear meat. The loin is a cut of like meat that I, I don't think is groin related. Tell her that I've come down with a frustrated loin. She wouldn't want that messing up their apartment, would she? We'll make it an early evening, I promise, Sarah said. As Madden ordered two more drinks, he thought about it. No, it wouldn't be an early evening. It never was on those occasions they went to visit Sarah's sister and her husband. Something always happened so that dinner was served hours after it should be, and then it just wasn't polite to eat and run. No, it would be at least eleven by the time they extricated themselves from his in-law's apartment, and probably eleven-thirty or later by the time they found themselves in their own bed. Sarah seemed to know what he was thinking. Joe, please. She's my only sister. It'll be early. I do promise. I'll hold you to it. They left Ratazzi's shortly before six. They didn't have to be in Brooklyn until around 7.30, but Sarah wanted to hit Brentano's bookstore on Fifth Avenue. 
There was a recent book on some newly discovered notebooks of Da Vinci that she'd wanted for weeks, but had kept postponing the buying of because their apartment seemed to be stacked end-to-end with books she'd bought and hadn't yet read. But today I feel I owe myself something, she said, a congratulatory gift from me to me. She bought the Da Vinci book and two others, one of which was heralded as a manual to survive in this age of energy crisis and other shortages. It was basically a back-to-the-land book which told how to build solar energy units on the roof, how to create better mulch for better vegetables. Its relevance to this book is nothing. (laughs) No, no, it's important that we know what her literary interests are. I am so mad at this writer for writing in a way that has got me hoping she goes down soon. (laughs) (laughs) They were walking along 50th, heading for the entrance, the 7th Avenue downtown train, when it happened. The girl looked to be about Sarah's age. She was tall and lean like a fashion model, and her clothes matched her looks. Her facial features might well have been pretty to beautiful, but it was difficult to tell. Madden had not especially noticed her until it happened. After it happened, her face was contorted into a shrieking hysteria. It happened fast. Neither Madden nor Sarah got a good look at the man even though the whole thing took place less than 20 feet from them. He was black. That they knew, but that was all. One identifying feature, and, and then he walks away from the description. He moved like lightning, seeming to appear from nowhere at the side of the dark-haired girl, using his hands to both shove the girl in one direction <sighs> and to whip her shoulder bag in the other. She had been holding the bag the way women are advised to. Strap over shoulder hand-clutching strap at about breast level, but the clutching hand unclutched when she felt herself falling. By the time she recovered her balance, her bag no longer was on the shoulder. It was moving west at a swift people-dodging run. Even before the girl's screams began, it was too late. The city, Madden said under his breath, it's a goddamn jungle. Madden's brother-in-law agreed. Nothing is safe anymore, Dan said. It was 9.30. Dinner, as predicted, was late. Jean, having miscalculated the time it would take for the roast to get done, and so the pre-dinner drinks had amounted to more rounds than normally would have been the case. Madden nursed the beer before him. Tomorrow was going to be bad enough without his having a hangover to nurse. As for Dan, who did something of a supervisory nature with an insurance company, He didn't slow down at all, both in terms of drinking and talking. Madden didn't care much for Dan, a 30-year-old who spent a good deal of his life lifting weights and jogging and whatever other activities the local YMCA offered the sweatsuit set. Aside from an admittedly good physique, the man was a slob, in Madden's opinion, both in his manner and in his thinking. What's more, he was an obnoxious slob, rarely missing an occasion to pose with muscles flexed, A lot like the models on the covers of those fag magazines. Whoa. Madden, in fact, wondered whether there was a little of the fag in Dan. He did, after all, seem to go out of his way to act and talk manly. Oh, my God. Oh, boy. 
I've been feeling uncomfortable since since we met the mugger. Met being a kind term, you know, because there's no description for them really outside of identifying their race as a white propagandist's effort to to create a villain out of them as quickly as possible. It's super lazy and just going. Uh, there was there's a black guy there's a black guy he and a, so he's a criminal it's right. just, that's all that has to happen and i was still pondering that when we when we walked into the magazine i don't even know what mag type of magazine they're specifically referring to like are they just talking about muscle mags i don't know i i mean that may be a uh an era specific thing but what the hell madden didn't have to suffer the man all that much only on these rare occasions when dinner was offered, either here or at his and Sarah's apartment, and Jean, after all, was Sarah's sister. He felt sorry for the woman. Some two or three years older than Sarah, she had followed Sarah from Chicago to New York, hoping to catch some of the glamorous life her sister had written home about. Instead, she had caught Dan. It is a goddamn jungle! Dan said, his tongue a little thick from the scotch he'd been drinking. And it's as bad out here as it is in Harlem, almost. It's not safe to walk the streets, not at night anyway, he sneered in Sarah's direction. Where's all those beautiful people of yours when it gets dark? I'll tell you where. They're locked up in their apartments with three or four locks on the door, shaking in their boots every time the building creaks. That's where they are. Sarah tried to smile. She didn't care much for Dan either. You may be overstating your point, she said. Maybe. But if people had sense, that's where they would be. In the daytime, the city might belong to working people like you and me, but at night, it belongs to them. And aside from living on what they can steal, you know who supports them? You know who gives them welfare checks and food stamps and keeps them alive so they can keep on robbing and killing? Barack Obama. Me. <laughs> Me. That's who. Me and you. I'll tell you this. I'm only hanging around here until I can swing a transfer. Maybe to Hartford. That would be the thing. But you know what? They can't get anybody to come to New York. That's a fact. Only the young guys just out of college. And he continued saying to Madden's growing discomfort. Finally, the call to the dinner table offered temporary reprieve. The roast was overdone. So we're trying to paint Dan as a bad dude. And the first way we do it is by saying he's gay. That stuck out to me too. Like he's, so he says a lot of shitty things and mm -hmm. Sarah's not a fan of him either. No one seems to like Dan. So he's, he's the quintessential, oh, this fucking guy. Um, and the first way we identify that is that he's gay or that we perceive him to be gay. Or quote, has a little of that in him. Right. right. Yes. He's right, you know. Sarah said as they walked up Court Street. If it wasn't for my work, and yours, I don't think I'd want to live here. Go to the country, maybe, Madden said. Maybe build a solar roof and a, a windmill and live off the land. You could do it. After all, you're supposed to be a talented engineer. An engineer, right, not a farmer. 
A civilized man, not a rustic. You can be rustic enough at times, she countered, as they went down into the Borough Hall subway station. She was still laughing at him. Madden glanced at his watch. It was 11.23. He had no premonition, nothing in the way of advance warning, no idea at all that he'd never hear Sarah laugh again. End of chapter. How are we doing with Joe now? What's your personal relationship with Joe Madden after that experience? I like Joe less now. And uh, their their relationship it seems less balanced than it did in that first chapter. I'm sure it was meant to, to do the opposite. I feel the same way that Farron does. I enjoyed him a lot more in that first chapter. And he's going through, he's he's having a tantrum. Because he got off work where he didn't feel like he was respected Mm -hmm. enough for how good he is at what he does. He then goes to uh, celebrate, well, goes to a celebration for his wife's promotion and doesn't want to talk about what her promotion is, only wants to have to be physically pleased. And even in that moment, still shames her about having to go spend time with her sister. On the day of her promotion, you should go like, whatever you want, honey, it's your like. Still having a tantrum, gets there, calls, is thinking about the questionable sexuality of his brother-in-law. Like, he's having a tantrum. Uh, Is French onion soup a famous French dish in a fancy French restaurant that serves martinis? (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's how they do it in Bordeaux. (laughs) Right. Any plot guesses? I think that the subway is where she's going to get attacked. Though it may still go another whole fucking chapter before she does. I think, I I do think that the villain from the prologue is going to be our core villain. And I do think um, by, uh, uh, based on the proximity to to the attack in the prologue, because they're just across the street. Is that right? That's right. Um, That he's going to strike, he's going to strike Sarah. Uh, okay, guys, uh, wonderful time with you today. I uh, can't wait to talk to you guys again. I always enjoy your hangouts. And if anybody's out there, thanks for listening. And uh, Drew's happy to uh, explain in further detail to any of our female listeners who just didn't get it. I'm not keeping any of that. Sorry. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> if you want to keep the laughs and chats going, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us with your thoughts on today's episode at vigilantebookclub at gmail.com. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Club Vigilante. Please do rate and subscribe as that helps us a bunch. And if you like the show, please tell all your friends. And if you don't like it, keep your big mouth shut. <laughs>